This is Dr. Michael Wald, and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Today's show topic, I think you'll enjoy, in a sort of twisted way, is You Will Likely Die of This. You heard it right. The title of the show is You Will Likely Die of This. Well, before I get into what this is and what this might be for you, for those of you new to the show, as I mentioned, my name is Dr. Wald. I practice in Gatona, New York, which is located about an hour north of New York City. And you can reach me with uh, your comments to this show and other past shows, which you can find on my blog, by the way, at my website, which is intmedny.com. That's intmedny.com. And you can email me at info, like information, info at blooddetective.com, and you can call me if you want to work with me have, uh, you know, as, a, as a patient for either a distance consult, consult or face-to-face at 914-552-1442. So what does this, um, you will likely die of this thing, mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. I'm going to discuss with you the, the 12 leading causes of death in the United States, which means statistically that pretty much everyone listening will die of one or more of these conditions. And yes, of course, as the self-proclaimed blood detective, I have no choice but to give you some uh, health tips so that you can reduce or mitigate your chances of dying prematurely from a disease that you might be able to either completely avoid or at least delay substantially. That's the key. I mean, look, we've all got to die of something. But what that something is can be better or worse in terms of the process of dying and how you manage that condition. So I'm going to be quite specific as I move along, talking about these 12 leading causes of death in the United States and, as I mentioned, what you will likely die of. Not just you, but your loved ones and your friends will also likely die of one or more of these conditions. Now, why should you continue listening to this show? Well, I think you should continue listening because the strategies and know-how that I'll teach you during this next hour are meant to substantially lower your risk of dying of these conditions. And I've known about the top causes of death in the United States for decades now. They've changed slightly, but they've all been in the top 12. They might have shifted a bit. And my point here is that I've always designed the health uh, plan that I present to any of my patients with this goal in mind. And that goal is reducing your overall morbidity and mortality from any cause. So when someone sees me, if you were to see me and say, Dr. Wald, you know, I have uh, cardiovascular disease and I want you to work on that. We would work on that, of course, but I would not be forgetting the other 11 causes of most deaths in the United States and somehow work the preventative aspect for those conditions within a cardiovascular plan for you. 
To do anything less, in my opinion, is not only not holistic. Holistic means you consider the considerations. So it's not only not holistic to plan ahead, but it's almost worthless. Because, again, to use the example of heart disease, let's say you have heart disease and you want to figure out a natural health plan to reduce your risk of of a stroke or a heart attack. Those are good goals. But if you're more likely statistically to die of cancer or an infection, or if they're a close second and third to you, then we need to wrap around your natural health plan what it takes to reduce your risks. So let's talk about the first leading cause of death in the United States. That will likely kill you. For more than 10 years or so, more than a decade, heart disease and cancer have claimed the first and the second spots as the leading causes of death uh, in the United States. Together, these two causes are responsible for more than, get this, more than 46% of death in the United States. So that's pretty scary. 46% of us will die of either cancer or heart disease. But I think that's That's quite the opportunity because if we know that that's true and we have all these natural ways of prevention and treatment, then we could use them. So combined with the third most common cause of death, which no one really talks about, chronic or long-standing lower respiratory tract disease, the three diseases that I've just mentioned, heart disease, cancer, and chronic lower respiratory diseases account for half of everyone dying in the United States. A lot of people. For more than about 30 years or so, the CDC, which is the Center of Disease Control, they've been collecting and examining all the statistics regarding causes of death. And that information is really important for you and for me because it helps practitioners like myself and and researchers understand what we need to do to address these growing epidemics of death that are overwhelming our so-called healthcare system in the United States. And as as I said before in other shows, uh, I don't think we have a healthcare system at all. We have a disease care system if we would simply just tell the truth about it. Physicians do not really learn much about health and a wellness visit is not a healthcare visit. Okay, moving right along. Listen, the numbers, when I say that we've got about 50% of people in the United States dying of these like four diseases. They help you understand how preventative measures may help you live longer and healthier lives. I mean, and I've heard this before, a lot of people say to me, Dr. Wald, I'm not so interested in living longer. I wanna live better. And I would say, well, how about living better for longer? We can do that, we know it, we have the science behind it, and we have the blood detective knowledge to apply it to individuals. So the top 12 causes of death in the United States account for more than 75% of all deaths. Did you hear that? The top 12, we're gonna review them. They account for 75% of deaths. Again, if you know, if, if you knew for certain that you would die of one of, let's say three or four diseases, wouldn't you do something to help prevent that in your lifestyle? Well, some of you are saying yes, thank you for that. And others are not saying much of anything, I guess because you're listening to this on the computer and you don't think I'm listening to you, but I am. And others out there are thinking, I I wouldn't know what to do. Okay, so we're gonna learn that. 
So this is information, by the way, that you'll find on the Center of Disease Control website. So as I mentioned, heart disease is the number one uh, cause of death in the United States. We're talking 635,000 people and change die of heart disease annually. So the percent of total deaths of those in the U.S. is 23%. It's mostly men and people who smoke. So you can't change your sex. Well, not biologically you can't. And uh, people who smoke, you can affect that. You can stop smoking. Or at the very least, and I hate to say this out loud, if you're going to continue smoking, you have to make sure to improve your nutritional uh, intake substantially to try as best as you can to make up for that. Now, why would I even be mentioning that? Because it should be about you stop stopping smoke smoking. Yes, but there are some people who cannot do it or they will not do it. So the least they should do is enhance their nutrition. There's all sorts of specific nutrition around smoking, which is a toxic endeavor. And if we know about the various toxins in smoke, for example, one of them is the heavy metal cadmium. Okay, it's called cadmium. You've heard of mercury, you've heard of aluminum, you've heard of lead. Most people have not heard of cadmium, but it is a horrible metal. It's an estrogen mimic, so it acts like a super estrogen. But it also is just a toxin that uh, clogs up at what's known as our phase two liver detoxification. So if you've listened to my show called uh, Detox Deception, where I basically exposed all the BS around detox uh, and how people are not doing it right, if you know what the toxin or toxins are, you can address the nutritional pathways. So phase two liver detoxification is the phase that manages cadmium from smoke. And glycine and glutathione and cysteine, for example, are major players in phase two detoxification. So those would be the detoxifiers you might use. How much? You always must base the dose of your supplementation. I'm gonna repeat this. You always must base the dose of your supplementation on your metabolic rate, your percentage of lean mass relative to fat mass and water mass, and your phase angle. If you don't know what phase angle is, you better learn, because it's one of the most important biomarkers of death prediction and outcome ever. I have a show on it. Search it under the blog section of my site. If you can't find something, look at the search bar that you'll also find on the page. So we're talking about heart disease, how 23% of us in the United States are going to die of it, and they're going to be men, and they're going to be smokers. They're also going to be people that are overweight or obese. That's why I like to do a body composition test, because that doesn't just tell me how much you weigh, but it tells me if you are obese or fat, and what percentage of you is fat relative to lean mass. It's the lean mass that we need to build up. The more lean mass you have, and that's organ mass, folks, and also muscle mass, but organ mass, very important. As you lose the organ mass, you lose your organs, you lose your organ function, so you die earlier. So we need to have strategies to improve that in heart disease prevention. If you've got a family history of heart disease, uh, like a heart attack, for example, hypertension, uh, these are other risk factors that add up to, to pushing you into that 23.1% of people dying of heart disease every single year. And finally, people over age 55. You know, I'm 53, I'm like, wow, I'm a man, uh, I'm, I'm not quite 55. Uh, I do have some heart disease in the family history. I am of, I'm of normal weight and body composition and I've never smoked. The idea is you can see, you can start to reduce these factors. And even if you are, even if I were, for example, 55 years and over, that would increase exponentially my chances of dying of a heart attack, 
I can improve my biological age. I can make my biological age younger than my chronological age, reducing my cardiovascular risk and risk of other diseases. So what, what causes heart disease? Well, first of all, we need to understand that heart disease is a term describing a range of conditions that affect your heart and your blood vessels. And those conditions are things like irregular heartbeats, what they call heart rhythms, okay? It could be too slow because let's say you have a weak heart that's called bradycardia, or it could be slow because you're really athletic and in super good shape, which I am, I'm not bragging, I'm just telling you like it is, uh, and I have bradycardia as well. So how do you know the difference between slow heartbeat in one person, slow heartbeat in the other, and one person that's bad and the other person that's good? Well, you look at them. Okay, are they in good shape? What's their age? If, if someone has a slow heart rate and they're not physically fit, then you know they have a weak heart muscle, and that's a problem. And then other causes of heart disease, other than irregular heart rhythms, which is controlled by the electrical impulses to the heart, would be coronary artery disease, the famed blocked arteries. So blocked arteries are a silly thing and a, and a horrible thing because what happens is the arteries slowly get blocked over time. And you know when this blockage starts, everyone? The blockage of arteries, the coronary arteries, those are the ones in the heart. They have found blockage in six-year-olds. Yep, they have found blockage in kids as young as six. And they add up over the course of time. And our body has something called collateral circulation, which is like a sleeping circulation. And when other arteries get clogged, the collateral circulation pops open, if you're lucky. But blocked arteries, irregular rhythms, and heart defects when someone's born with congenital heart defects. Maybe they have a problem with the valves of their heart, or there's different uh, major arteries uh, in the heart that are congenitally misplaced, they're just anatomically wrong, creating hemodynamic stress in the heart. So these are factors, but if someone has, for example, hemodynamic stress, which is a fancy term for things aren't flowing right in the heart, if things aren't flowing well, things get thicker and clots can form, you see? But if you take natokinase or you take digestive enzymes or fish oils, for example, these are things, garlic, that can help to improve the hemodynamics of the heart and reduce the propensity for clots, which are causes of heart disease. So what other tips can I give you for prevention of heart disease? I've given you a couple. And by the way, the nutrition that I just mentioned may or may not be appropriate for you. And I'll, I'll take a moment just to give you a disclaimer for everything is none of this information is uh, for anything other than your education. You must consult with a trained health professional, preferably a doctor of some sort that has training in clinical nutrition and can draw labs and knows how to interpret them. With all due respect to nutritionists, they do not learn labs. They're not licensed to learn labs. They should not be interpreting labs uh, or drawing blood. So one thing is if you smoke, you want to quit smoking. If you are eating badly, if you're overweight, if you have no energy, you need to eat a healthier diet. So what's the best diet? Well, if I had to choose for everyone right now, I've said it before, it would be a vegan diet. And for those of you that say, I can't do a vegan diet, I can't do it. I'd say something between a vegan diet and a vegetarian diet. But let's say it's a vegan diet, okay? 
But if you genetically require more folic acid, a B vitamin, and or you're genetically in your lifestyle and you have other health problems that say you need more magnesium or more protein or more, you know, omega-3s, whatever it is that's unique to you, then that diet needs to be adjusted by way of food adjustments, emphasizing some foods over others. And folks, you realize that not everyone gets heart disease for the same reasons. If someone, let's say you have 10 people, 10 of you out there that have coronary artery disease, blocked arteries. One of you may have had blocked arteries because you never exercised or didn't exercise enough. Another one may have blocked arteries because your, your diet is just too inflammatory or, or loaded with saturated fat. And another person might have a thick arteries because of really bad genetics and you didn't know it. So you couldn't adjust your life and influence how your genes expressed other than badly. So there's no, here's the best way to eat, here's the top list of supplements for the heart. It just doesn't exist. It's a lie. Okay, remember, blood detective conversations are about the truth, are about getting to the nitty gritty. As Remember that movie Nacho Libre? It was so funny. He says, getting to the nitty gritty. I love that. I never forgot it. We got to get to the nitty gritty of what you actually need. We have to just find it out. Give you what you need for your needs. Next, cancer, number two killer. 598,000 people a year. Oh my goodness. 21.7% of us will die of cancer. And, and it won't go well. It's not fun. So, cancer. Each type of cancer, there's like over 800 cancers or something like that. And they all have their unique set of risk factors. But there are several common things that can possibly reduce your overall cancer risk. And here's what they are. First is people of a certain age tend to get cancer. Another risk factor for cancers, any cancer, is the use of tobacco and alcohol. Now, as far as tobacco, you may have never smoked, but if you breathe air, you smoke the equivalent of about two packs per day. It's astounding. So that'll increase your risk of all of the cancers. And alcohol is a toxin. And uh, other than, I mean, it, it, it has a, a number of, of deleterious effects upon the body, including reducing liver functionality. And the liver has over 500 functions that we know of. Some of those include, let's say, detoxification as we all know. So if we're feeding ourselves alcohol, reducing our ability to detoxify, then we accumulate toxins. And then over the course of our lives, we have what's known as bioaccumulation. That's going to be a risk factor for, I would imagine, all cause morbidity and mortality, and certainly for cancers. Any inflammatory problem at all is known to be a risk factor for multiple cancers. And it's kind of the big thing now, right? Everyone knows inflammation is at the crux of all-cause disease. It's actually true. So if you have, let's say, chronic arthritis and some pain, maybe it's not even that bad. Let's say it's in your, your big toe, your knee, your back, your neck. That inflammation involves inflammatory mediators that are circulating throughout your body. And those inflammatory mediators may cause genetic damage and, and also cause what we call adverse genetic expression. So chronic inflammation can affect the actual genes and our cancer risk. Inflammation 
is literally a physiologic language that has a role. Inflammatory mediators, for example, help to clear the body of dead and dying cells. But too much of a good thing, like everything else, causes deleterious effects upon our immune system. And these inflammatory mediators themselves are quite toxic. Another risk factor for multiple cancers is overweight and especially being obese. So again, and we don't know all the reasons why, but let me give you just a couple. Overweight means we have more fat than we should. If we have more fat, we have more storage capability for toxins. Fat-soluble toxins store themselves in fatty tissue. And they've done studies with uh, breast fat, and they've analyzed it, and it contained something like, according to one study, over something like 2,000 different potential carcinogens. And if it's in breast fat, it's in pretty much any fat. So we want to maintain normal, healthy weight. That's why, once again, we want to use a, a, a bioimpedance test or a body composition test that's a quick and easy way of telling us how much fat we're made of. And not only how much fat we're made of, how much lean muscle mass and water we're made of, because it's the ratio of those two things that make all the difference. And don't forget, a body composition test tells us phase angle, which is a test of cellular energy that can be used to as a measure as to whether or not your natural therapies, even medical therapies, are working. If they work, your phase angle increases, and if they don't work, your phase angle goes down. And by the way, everyone, if your phase angle increases, then so does your risk of heart attack, and so does your risk of cancer. And just to name a few. So what, what causes cancer? Maybe we should just speak a moment about that. So cancer is the result of rapid and or uncontrolled cell growth in your body. So a normal cell multiplies and divides in a very physiologically balanced and controlled manner. Sometimes though, the instructions that the, the genes give the body get a bit uh, scrambled, they get faulty. And when that happens, cells begin to divide in a rapid and wildly uncontrolled rate. And this can develop into cancer. So let me give you a few more preventative tips for cancer. First of all, there's no way to guarantee that you can avoid cancer, but you absolutely can change your behaviors, your daily life, to either increase your risk of cancer, like smoking, or decrease, de decrease your risk of developing cancer. So you're always looking at cutting your risks. So the good things you can do, probably, these are pretty safe to say, are you want to maintain a healthy weight, as I just finished saying, and you want to eat a balanced plant-based diet, and you want to exercise regularly. So this whole plant-based concept is very important. You want to eat tons of plants. That's what you want to do. The more plants you eat, the lower your risk of all-cause morbidity and mortality, which I keep saying. Now, you might need, as I mentioned earlier, as an example, you might need a, a plant-based diet that's mostly plants or vegan or vegetarian, but given the rest of your health situation, the medications you're on, 
how overweight you are, what your health goals are, how fast you want to get to those health goals. These and other factors, genetics, etc., they all come into play when I consider what it is you need uh, in terms of consumption of foods. So once again, there is no anti-cancer diet for everyone. There is just what you need with a guideline of plant-based approach. And again, with exercise, the exercise needs to be regular exercise. You definitely must quit smoking. And as I said earlier, any one of us that just breathes is a smoker. But if you've ever been exposed to secondhand smoke, you'd want to nutritionally work on, on that. In other words, I always put my patients on higher doses of my detox products, my detox powders, my detox one, two, three, four, when they have a history of being exposed to secondhand smoke, even if they themselves do not smoke. And this is some preventative tips that say drink in moderation. I say drink never. I mean, a sip here, a drink there, once a month tops. But this moderation business that the CDC talks about, it's not based on any science. Just common sense, blood detective common sense says, don't consume toxins. Okay, you want to avoid any direct exposure to the sun. That's for for sure. Uh, in terms of uh, skin cancer, for everything from melanomas to squamous cell carcinomas to basal cell carcinomas and others, do not use tanning bed beds. Have regular cancer screenings. Have your uh, your skin checked regularly. And if you're a woman and you get mammographies, you definitely need to use high dose antioxidant phytonutrients. Um, directly before, during, and after any mammography. And men, you should have your prostate exams, and men and women, your colonoscopies when it's time. You just have to stop taking your nutrients at least three days before and for three days after um, colonoscopy or endoscopy. Next, another cause of death, accidents, unintentional injuries, kills 161,000 people every year. They did not see it coming. The percent of total deaths in the United States, almost 6%, 5.9%. It's mostly men dying of these accidents. It's people up to, you know, basically under 44 years of age. That's about the top end. And those with risky jobs. So what causes these accidents um, and what it results in are a lot of emergency room visits every year. 28 million emergency room visits every year. And the three leading causes of accidental deaths are unintentional falls. So it's important to, to be careful, to be aware. I do a lot of work around my house. I'm building retaining walls, all kinds of things. And I don't think about it sometimes, I'll tell you. I think I'm indestructible. I'm jumping off rocks, doing all kinds of things. But I should be more careful and you should be more careful. Motor vehicle traffic deaths. And sometimes, again, you just don't see it coming. And unintentional poisoning deaths. So the thing is, with unintentional poisoning deaths, we're talking about uh, children mostly. and uh, But we're all poisoning ourselves you know, on a daily basis, depending on how we live and what we're eating and drinking. So stick to the plant-based diets, take your nutrients every day. Hopefully you take your nutrients based on what your blood work, your urine uh, testing says. It's put together correctly. That's what the blood detective does and other practitioners like me. But I like to compare your labs to healthy men and women of your age. 
So I do that blood detective interpretation. So if you, if you come to me with your labs, you better expect that I will consider your labs far more abnormal, even though you, your doctors might say they're pretty good. Because if I'm comparing you to, let's say, a, a person 10 years your, senior, your, your junior, that is, uh, who's healthier, your chemistry is going to be abnormal compared to that. And then I nutritionally try to repair that. So you're ending up much more biologically younger. Okay? Also, what can we do about unintentional injuries? Well, like I said, we have to watch our carelessness and our lack of careful attention. We need to be aware of our surroundings. Take all the proper precautions to prevent injuries or accidents that you can. And if you do hurt yourself and it's bad, you know, go to the emergency room to prevent any serious complications. The next and fourth leading cause of death is chronic lower respiratory diseases, what I started the show mentioning. 154,000 deaths a year, 5.6% of the population. And the lower respiratory disease deaths are mostly in women that are over 65. That's not so old, but there's that reduction in immunity that's there. That's a major factor in, in deaths. People with a history of smoking or exposure to secondhand smoke, they're the ones getting this lower respiratory tract infections. They're about 65 years old and they're ladies and they have a history of asthma. And then if you throw in their lower income households, usually means malnutrition and poor nutrition, it's a recipe for respiratory disaster. So what are the respiratory diseases that are killing women? There, there's one known as chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD. There's emphysema, there's asthma, and there's pulmonary hypertension. Each of these conditions or diseases, they prevent your lungs from working properly. Uh, That's the bottom line. And they can result in scarring and damage to the lung tissues, the lungs that work as well. They serve as a nidus, an area now for lack of oxygenation. And and we have all the anaerobic bacteria that love to, to, to live in that environment. And also we might see an increase in the fungal organisms and it's just terrible. And then because people are so antibiotic resistant, they're going into hospitals with these issues and they're not responding the way that they should have. So what are, what are a couple of uh, tips for prevention? Well, tobacco use, secondhand smoke, exposure are the primary factors for developing these diseases. Again, that's COPD, emphysema, asthma, and pulmonary hypertension. You gotta quit, you gotta quit the smoking. You have to limit your exposure to people who smoke. And if you breathe the air, you need to have the right antioxidant detoxifying nutrients to manage your uh, smoke exposure from just breathing. So for those of you just joining us, we're talking about what you will likely die of. And the title of the show is You Will Likely Die of This. So we're at the fifth leading cause of death, which is stroke. But my contact information for those of you who have questions for me, show ideas or want to see me at either a distance or in person is the following. You can email me directly at info at blooddetective.com. That's info at blooddetective.com. You can call me at 914-552-1442. Please look at my videos under the video section of my website and my radio shows under the blog at my website address, which is INT. M-E-D-N-Y dot com. So, you will likely die of this. Stroke. Oh, yes, a lot of you. 142,000 of you will die of stroke every year. That's 5.18% of the 
population of the United States. So who's dying of stroke? I'm sorry, guys, but it's you. But fair not, because women who use birth control are getting strokes. Birth control increases the risk of clots. If you drink and you do birth control, higher risk of clots. And if you smoke, drink, and birth control, again, if you don't get a clot and a stroke, it's a miracle. People with high blood pressure will get strokes. People with heart disease tend to get strokes. And as I mentioned, if you smoke, your risk of getting stroke is very high. So men get strokes, women using birth control. People with diabetes, I failed to mention, they get a lot of strokes. They're part of that 5.18% and heart disease and people who smoke. So what causes a stroke? We gotta know what causes it if we wanna prevent it. Well, first thing is many of the same uh, lifestyle factors that uh, or changes that reduce your risk of heart disease also reduce your risk of stroke. You have to maintain a healthy weight. You never have to worry about your weight if you exercise regularly and eat a plant-based diet or eat closer to a plant-based diet. Again, I'm 53 years old. I'm five foot eight. I'm 170 pounds of muscle. That is from just following these habits. I can eat anything I want. It is the truth. And sometimes I do indulge because I can. So you can get there. If I can get there with MS diagnosis at 18, you can get there. You need to maintain that healthy weight. You want to exercise more and you want to eat healthier, which we just said what that is. And as far as exercise, depending on your concerns, issues, age, and other factors, I don't know exactly how you should exercise. But, and, and it, even if I did, let's say I were figuring out a food plan for you and a supplement plan. If you then said to me, well, I want to exercise five days a week at 45 minutes, your nutritional suggestions, they just changed. So all of these things must be uh, considered. But if I were to give a general guideline, I would say everyone should exercise five days a week at 45 minutes, three to four minutes, five minutes, warm up and warm down. And all the time in between, you want to be at 70% of your heart rate max, as long as that is safe for you. And that's something you have to ask your, your PCP or your cardiologist or your, or your doctor if that is appropriate. In terms of prevention of stroke, okay, we said maintaining weight, we said eat healthier and exercise. You need to manage your blood pressure. I take the blood pressure on people and I'm shocked to find that they have hypertension and they don't even know it. And that's the silent killer part. And as far as smoking, do you think you should smoke? No, that wasn't a trick question. No. <laughs> and you want to drink only in moderation at most. I don't like that recommendation, but it is one given by the CDC. I just don't see anything good about drinking. You need to manage your blood sugar levels and your diabetes. So there's diabetes, which is high blood sugar, Hemoglobin A1C testing, which is a three to four month average of your blood sugar, it's got to be greater than um, 7.4. And I would suggest to keep it at about 5.4. That's the best number to be at based on the blood detective healthy ranges. And there's a lot of you out there that have no idea about your hemoglobin A1C or even your sugar. Well, let me tell you this. If you have, if you had a blood test done and you did not fast for it and your blood sugar was greater than 85, 
So let me say that again. You had a blood glucose at your doctor's office. You did not fast. You ate. And your blood sugar is greater than 85 milligrams per deciliter. That is a predisposing factor to diabetes, even though 85 is well within the normal range. That's actually not based on my thoughts. That's based on actual research that appeared in the Journal of Endocrinology years ago. So there's an example of being somewhere within a normal range of glucose that they can predict diseases. So when your doctor says your tests are normal, guess what? Not so much. Same thing with LDL, which is the bad cholesterol. If it's 130, they say that that's normal. And if it's, if it's less than 100, they actually call it optimal. Now, these better places to be in the normal range, they don't just exist for LDL and glucose. I have them for over 170 different tests, which I outlined in my lab uh, textbook called the Anti-Aging Encyclopedia of Laboratory Tests. Now, that is a test, that is a book that is over 500 pages and it took me about a year to write, and it is required reading for the largest nutrition organization on the planet, the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists. So I know lab work, and I can tell you, because I teach lab to doctors, many of them do not understand lab work. They don't understand these healthier ranges, and that's where the blood detective thinking comes in. The blood detective method always compares you to healthier, not those of your age. Because it's not looking good, folks, those your age. So why would you want to be normal like them anyway? And for tips of preventing stroke, another one is you need to medically treat or nutritionally treat any underlying heart defects or diseases. So sometimes heart, heart defects can be treated surgically. The techniques today are amazing, uh, depending on the, the heart defect. And other times you can't. Like there may be a defect that affects uh, your heart rhythm or the flow of blood in your heart. Well, that's where nutrition can come in because nutrition will affect favorably the blood flow in the heart. Sometimes, even the rhythm. Next, this is a big one. Sixth leading cause of, of death in the United States. What do you think it is? It's Alzheimer's disease. So for those of you who thought Alzheimer's, you're right. Um, 116 thousand people die of Alzheimer's every year and a lot more suffer from it. Not to mention the families. It's a horrible, horrible disease. And a lot of you will get it. 4.23% of you out there will get this. Mostly women have to watch out. We don't know why. Maybe hormones, who knows. People over age 65, the risk for Alzheimer's doubles every five years after age 65. And I see these patients, and some of them you can help if they're not too far gone. But this is not, a, first of all, I predict a nation of Alzheimer's patients in the next 20, 30 years. And the reason for that is people don't like to preventatively treat themselves. So I, I, don't, I can't only speak for myself, but I know that Alzheimer's disease is going to afflict a lot of people. And I know that the medical treatments and the nutrition, the nutrition too, does not work once you have it. Once you have a, a, a long, not a long term, but once you have a severe case, there's no help for you. If you have early, or if you want to prevent, that is where you make a difference. But almost no one wants to prevent. I don't see that many healthy people 
I see sick people. They come in and it's, it's, they're demented. Or I spoke to one lady who she didn't even realize she was demented and she was working. But um, it, it, things are just falling apart. They're unraveling. So anyone with a history of Alzheimer's disease in your, in your family, you need to get on top of the nutrients. You need nutrition that helps to manage and promote positive neuroplasticity. That is a fancy word for helping the brain reform the neurologic connections. That's what we want. So do you know what causes Alzheimer's disease? Do you have any idea? Well, it's unclear even to a lot of researchers, but we do believe that there's a combination of things that are doing it. Number one is the genetics, and then it's the lifestyle and the environment, because your environment and your lifestyle, how you eat and play, all of that washes over your genetics. And then the genetics and how they affect the brain will show over time. Now, some of the changes that you'll see in Alzheimer's disease, they occur over many years, even over decades. And then they suddenly just add up to a bunch of problems and all of a sudden the person is just like not the same. And, but So before that first symptom happens, is what I'm saying to you, it could even be years before, like many diseases, most diseases even, they start years before you're aware of them. By the time you see that first symptom and you feel it and experience it, it's been a long time. So you can't control the genes you actually have, but the lifestyle you can control, and that, is a, that plays a major factor upon your genes. And you can't control your age. The older you get, the greater the risk of you getting Alzheimer's, but you can control your biological age. So you can control your biological age and manage your lifestyle factors, which play upon your genetic expression for Alzheimer's disease or not. So exercise, or I should say exercising more often than not exercising and remaining you know, very active throughout your life, this does make a difference. It seems that the circulation of blood and oxygen and nutrition to the brain matters. And there's all sorts of other things that exercise does, like improving detoxification, lymphatic flow, overall organ health. And have a diet filled with fruits and vegetables, only healthy fats, and get that sugar down, down, down. And any other chronic diseases you have, anything else, you need to get them managed because they play upon the genes, like arthritis in your back or inflammation in your gut with your leaky gut or whatever it is. That is a stress upon the brain. Yep, because the inflammatory mediators circulate to the brain too. And a few of all those other factors that might predispose you more to these diseases, this is a problem. Then there's keeping your brain stimulated, having in-depth conversations with people, doing puzzles, reading, particularly new information forms new connections which reinforce others, but also reinforcing your knowledge in areas that you feel that you know or once knew or were very good at. Just want to keep studying that stuff. It, it, life needs to be about study. Killer number seven, diabetes. This is a nasty one kills 80,000 people a year, 2.9% of the population. There's two types. There's type one diabetes, there's type two diabetes. So type one diabetes is uh, more commonly diagnosed in a person who has a family history of the disease. They might have a specific gene that increases the risk. 
But type 1 diabetes, you're seeing them in children, you know, ages 4 to 7. And people living in climates farther away, or further away, I should say, from the equator. Okay? And then type 2 is much more common among people who are overweight and obese, adults over age 45, and people who have a family history of diabetes. So you got to know the risk factors as I lay them out. And the thing about diabetes type 1, I mean, that happens, first of all, when the pancreas just can't produce enough insulin. In type 2 diabetes, your body becomes resistant to insulin or doesn't make enough of it to control your blood sugar. So you can't, you cannot prevent type 1 diabetes, though. You're born with it. But you can prevent type 2 with several key lifestyle changes. First, you have to maintain a healthy weight. Again, that comes up a lot, right? You need to exercise for, for five days a week, 30 minutes at a shot. You have to eat a diet filled with lean proteins, whole grains, vegetables, and fruits. And you have to have your blood sugar checked on a regular basis. Killer number eight. Again, this could be you. Because most people will die of these top 12 I'm going through. Influenza and pneumonia. They kill 51,537 people a year. 1.88% of the population. Pneumonia and influenza tend to get, to get children with weak immune systems. The elderly with weak immune systems. People with any chronic health conditions at all. And pregnant women. So what causes inflammation? I, I should say, what causes influenza and pneumonia? Well, Influenza is the flu, okay? Influenza is the flu. It's a highly contagious viral infection. It's very common in the winter months. And pneumonia is an infection of, or, or inflammation of the lungs. Now, back to the flu. The flu is one of the leading causes of pneumonia. That would be a viral pneumonia. So in terms of prevention, before flu season, you got to get all your nutrition right. You need your chemistry checked so your holistic practitioner knows what to give you. Um, it's not just taking a bunch of nutrients. You need what you need for your need, remember? You need what you need for your needs. People in the high-risk category uh, can and should get a flu vaccine. Now, I know this controversy about the flu vaccine. I would say I take it one patient at a time. So if they fit all my criteria for needing a flu vaccine, I, I ask them to get that. Anyone else concerned about the virus and has, is unable to or unwilling to improve their nutrition and their lifestyle should probably get the flu vaccine. Now, to prevent the spread of the flu, you need to wash your hands. Wash your hands and avoid people who are sick. Don't shake hands. Don't touch surfaces. These are just realities. Also, a, a pneumonia vaccine is available for people at high risk of developing an infection. So if people that I see are unwilling to have us improve their immune systems properly, then yes, they might want to consider these, uh, these vaccines. Now, are these vaccines uh, harmful? Yes, they, they might be harmful. Do these vaccines perhaps not work for the viruses that the person happens to be infected with? Yes, that possibility also exists. So I would use antiviral nutrition, elderberry, N-acetylcysteine, the most, one of the more important antivirals that there is. Folic acid is an antiviral. Ascorbic acid is an antiviral. Glutathione is an antiviral. And then I look at what the immune system's 
what the immune system needs are for each of my patients. Because if they need, if they have an immune system, let's say the humoral immune system or their complement immune system or their cell-mediated immune system, the three immune systems that we have, depending on the combination of how they are, I might give them echinacea with astragalus, with NAC, or some combination of things. Again, you need what you need for your needs. Let's talk about kidney disease. 50,000 deaths, 1.8% of the population. So it's most common among people who have chronic health problems like diabetes, high blood pressure, recurrent kidney infections. They're getting kidney failure, okay? Chronic renal disease, chronic renal failure, acute renal failure. People who smoke, people who are overweight, uh, people with a family history of kidney disease, they're getting it. And doctors are not treating this well. A lot of people that I see have chronic um, renal failure and they didn't even know it. You have to realize that your blood work only shows anything wrong with your kidneys when you lose 40% of your kidney function. Then it shows nothing. But if I compare people to the healthier ranges, it's going to show up abnormal when a person has the 35% on my testing. So the term kidney disease refers to three main conditions. Nephritis nephrotic syndrome and nephrosis. So each of these conditions is a unique disease and nephritis involves kidney inflammation, usually from an infection. Sometimes it's from another immune problem or even um, an autoimmune disease. Uh, nephrotic syndrome is a condition where your kidneys produce high levels of a protein in your urine that, and it causes kidney damage or it's caused by kidney damage. And nephrosis is a kidney disease that ultimately leads to renal failure. And it's often caused by damage to the kidneys from some physical or chemical change or stress. You need a low sodium diet for prevention. You need to stop smoking, stop drinking, you gotta lose weight, you must exercise, and you have to have your blood pressure and sugar managed in the ways that you need it managed. Now, number 10 is suicide. 44,965 people a year, 1.64%. It's mostly men that are killing themselves. People with brain injuries, people who have attempted suicide, people with a history of depression or other mental conditions, and people who misuse alcohol and drugs. They're the ones committing suicide. And uh, almost 500,000 people are treated in emergency rooms every year. So what do you do? Well, suicide prevention would aim to find treatments that encourage individuals who might commit suicides to, to cope better. And for many people, suicide prevention includes a very tight relationship with family, friends, and other people uh, who understand. And in some cases, medications, nutrition, uh, and sometimes in hospital treatment is necessary for some people. Of course, we'd love to do everything holistically, but when, when we can, we can. And for those of you who are listening that have someone who might be in the suicide category, the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline phone number is 800-273-8255. Killer number 11, septicemia. 39,940 people are dying of infections every year. That's what septicemia is. So who's getting it? Adults over age 60, I'm sorry, 75. If you're over age 75, your immune system is shot and you te will tend to get uh, disseminated infections known as septicemia. 
They might have a source somewhere, but um, and sometimes you can't find it. But I also believe there's something like a subacute septicemia, where people with leaky gut have a leakage of bacteria and fungi into the blood. And this is septicemia by definition, infectious organisms in the blood. But septicemia is, is recognized as a, as a much more profound, immediately life-threatening, very, very, very serious problem. Adults over 75, young children with immature immune systems, people with a chronic illness, they tend to get infections, and people with impaired immune systems of any type. And I mentioned earlier that we have three types of immune systems. So we have the cell-mediated, the humoral, and the complement. And we need to take care of all of them to reduce risk of infection at like septicemia. Because then the only treatment is loading you up with bacteria intravenously in a hospital and hoping you respond after years of antibiotic use causing antibiotic resistance. Oh boy. So what causes septicemia? It's a result of a bacterial infection in the blood. So sometimes, uh, you know, it's from, it can cause blood poisoning. It is blood poisoning. Many cases of septicemia, though, develop after an infection uh, somewhere else in the body uh, that has happened. So let's say you cut yourself working in the yard. You could get an, an infection there in your, on your finger, which would then seed throughout the body and you get septicemia. So in terms of prevention, the best, best way, I think, to prevent septicemia is to treat any bacterial infection that you've got quickly and treat it thoroughly. And if you think you might have an infection, you make a point, an appointment with your doctor and get it managed. Um, the infection may be able to be managed through topical antibiotics and using nutrition appropriately, but sometimes you may need more, like an antibiotic. And even uh, and early, I should say, early and thorough treatment can help prevent the spread of infections throughout the blood. And the very last killer, is chronic liver disease and cirrhosis. So chronic liver disease. Now think of it this way too, folks. Chronic liver disease and cirrhosis are end-stage problems. But before they happen, people just have weak livers and scarring in their liver. So that's a lot more people than the 38,000. So listen up. The percentage of total deaths from even the worst liver and cirrhosis is 1.39%. But a lot of people, in my experience, have weak livers. It's most of us or a lot of us. So they're going to happen mostly among people with a history of excessive alcohol use or toxin exposure. They're the ones getting chronic liver disease and cirrhosis. And it's a very difficult thing to treat. And, and there's also a viral hepatitis infection, infection that causes chronic liver disease and cirrhosis. An accumulation of fat in liver is usually a secondary sign of chronic liver disease. And doctors will still say this reflexive statement. They'll say, well, fatty liver isn't, uh, it's benign. It's, it's not a disease. It is a problem. It is a, one of a, a manifestation of many issues going on with the body. For example, if your body's throwing fats in the liver, fatty liver, it's probably throwing fats on your arteries, which are not being measured in your blood because it's stuck to your arteries. My point is that when the liver starts to fail, fatty liver happens, and fatty liver is your body's attempt to get fat out of the blood. So it's usually associated with increased uh, risk of uh, cardiovascular disease. So it's also caused by, well, I should say both liver and disease, liver disease and cirrhosis are the result of liver damage. So slowly accumulated, bioaccumulated damage over the course of your lifetime. So if you're misusing alcohol, you need to get that managed. 
You need either drug detox and or nutritional detoxification, supportive psychological therapies, and nutritional rehab, and who knows what else. But it's what you need to do. The longer and more you drink, the greater your risk of developing liver disease and cirrhosis. So if you receive a diagnosis of hepatitis, you need to follow your doctor's instructions in, in terms of treatment and uh, prevention of unnecessary liver damage. This is where milk thistle comes in, alpha lipoic acid comes in, vitamin C comes in, methionine comes in. These are really important for uh, cirrhosis and uh, liver damage. So though it's the most common cause of death, heart disease rates have been falling over the last 50 years. However, though, in 2011, the number of deaths from heart disease began to slowly rise. And between 2011 and 2014, the rate actually rose 3%. Deaths from influenza and pneumonia are falling, at least according to the American uh, Lung Association. And the deaths from these two conditions dropped about 3.8% since 1999. Stroke risks seem to have dropped about 11% between 2010 and 2014. So I think I might say one more thing about rising death rates. For example, the gap between heart disease and cancer was much wider. Heart diseases hold on the number one cause of death spot uh, was wide and very, very demanding. But then the American heart health experts and doctors began encouraging Americans to curb smoking and they started to, you know, treating heart disease better and of course improve nutrition. And because of these efforts, the number of heart disease related deaths has been falling over the last uh, five years or so. Meanwhile, the number of cancer related deaths has been rising. So number one, we need to be mindful of our diets and our exercise and of course our nutrition and our stress. You want to think in a blood detective manner, always looking for causes and always looking for prevention. In order to prevent, you have to know what to prevent. If we know the top causes of disease, the top 12, which we all now know, we have no more excuses, we can develop an overall lifestyle plan that lowers or mitigates our risk of overall morbidity and mortality, which means reducing our risk of premature death from conditions that we can delay or prevent entirely, which is what I've been reviewing with you today. So thank you. That was a long, long-winded explanation, but needed, I think, because, again, these are the things killing us. So now we know and we can take action against them. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You've been listening to Ask the Blood Detective. If you want to reach me for a distance phone consultation or an in-person one, call me at 914-552-1442 or email me at info at blooddetective.com. Thank you, everyone. I've done.